This afternoon, we consider the teaching of God's Word as it is summarized in Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This Lord's Day deals with the topic of good works. And so, in connection with that, let us read together from Romans chapter 3. We'll read verses 9 through 31. Romans chapter 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruined in misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are, who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. As mentioned, the sermon this afternoon will be on Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And so let us read that Lord's Day together now. But why can our good works not be a righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works are nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and in the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. 
Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we learn about what God's Word teaches us concerning our righteousness by grace through faith. This doctrine which we hold dear is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Christianity is different from every other religion in the world because it proclaims salvation by grace through faith, whereas all other religions proclaim some kind of doctrine of salvation by works. All other religions are conceived of in the human mind, and so they spring out of human nature. And so inherently they reflect human nature, and it is our natural inclination to think that we can work our way up to God. It is our natural inclination to think that we can do that, that we can climb the ladder, so to speak. We can ascend our human limitations and we can find our way up to the divine. But in the true, true religion, the Christian religion, we confess that we do not. No, we cannot work our way up to heaven. We confess that God must come down to earth to save us from our horrible state. This is the truth that we confess. And by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are counted as righteous. We are counted as blameless in heaven's courtroom. In the history of the Christian church, it seems that the most foundational doctrines are the ones that are attacked the most, such as the Trinity or the doctrine of justification. This is true especially of this doctrine. The teaching of Scripture that we are justified, that we are declared right before God by faith in Jesus Christ might seem obvious to us who have grown up in a Reformed church. Yes, it makes sense. We've heard that all before. Why do we need to hear it again? But this gospel truth that we treasure has often been outright denied or undermined in the history of the church. And that is why the Catechism spends an entire Lord's Day, Lord's Day 24, explaining one sentence from Lord's Day 23, where it says, without any merit of my own. God declares us to be righteous without any merit of my own. But the Catechism isn't just pointing out the errors of the Roman Catholic Church. Yes, it, it is doing that. It is pointing out the errors of those who deny the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But it is also instructing us and teaching us that we too must reckon with the truth of God's word. For we ourselves as Reformed believers can find ourselves at odds with this doctrine at times in our own lives and in our own thinking. In our day-to-day -day life, you maybe can relate to this. We begin to think that our, the good things we do somehow affect our standing before God. 
Sometimes we think when we are convicted of some sin that we have committed, especially if it's a particular, particularly bad sin, we think that maybe we have to do some kind of penance or self-punishment to make ourselves right with God again. This is the natural inclination of the human heart. Ours as well. To try to work our way up into God's good books. And this is the reason why we must confess and be reminded of our confession that our good works do not save us. And so this afternoon we look at what God's word teaches us concerning good works as that teaching is summarized in Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And we will look at this confession under the following theme and points. Our good works are not part of our righteousness before God. Our good works are absolutely insufficient, first of all. Secondly, graciously rewarded. And thirdly, our good works are necessary fruit. For our first point then, this afternoon, our good works are absolutely insufficient. As mentioned just a moment ago in Lord's Day 23, we have that beautiful confession of the glorious gospel of God's free gift of grace, that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is counted as our righteousness. The question that is asked in Lord's Day 23, how are you righteous before God? is one of the most important questions that a person can ever seek to answer in their life. We have so many questions that arise in our life, so many things that we are concerned about and so many things we focus on. We might ask what are interest rates going to look like this year and in the next five years, how is the economy going to shape up? Will I be able to afford retirement at 65? Who am I going to marry? Where should I go to school? All of these are important, life-affecting questions. Questions that we look to find answers for. But the most fundamental question in life, the question on which everything else hinges on, is how are you righteous before God? You see, this question is eternal life-affecting so to speak. And without an answer to this question, all of the other questions, they're they're superfluous. They don't matter so much. Financial stability, material well-being, a good school to go to, a partner in life. As good as these things are, gifts from God, they don't really matter so much if we cannot say with confidence at the end of the day that we are righteous before God. And so we treasure our confession in Lord's Day 23. As believers, we can answer this eternal life-affecting question with confidence. We can say, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Righteous One, that although I do not deserve it, God counts the righteousness of Christ as my own. This is good news, beloved. Good news that we need to treasure and defend. Already in Lord's Day 23, the Catechism seeks to make crystal clear that only the satisfaction 
Only the righteousness and only the holiness of Christ can be our righteousness before God. God imputes Christ's righteousness to us, which means that he charges it to our account. He records Christ's righteousness in his books as ours. Just think about that for a moment. He does this out of grace because we do not deserve it. And he does this not on the basis of our merit. That's what grace is. It is the undeserved and unmerited favor of God in saving sinners. And so in Lord's Day 24, the Catechism defends this doctrine. It begins by asking the question, why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? And this, the answer to this question brings us to the scene of heaven's courtroom. There, God, the great judge of all the earth, he's sitting on his throne of righteousness and judgment, and he is executing judgment over all people. God is the one whom we must give an answer to. He is the one who will judge all people on the last day, and as Matthew 12, verse 36 says, he even judges every careless little word that comes out of our mouths. God's judgment is complete. He doesn't miss a thing. As Proverbs 15, verse 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And Hebrews 4, verse 13 says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So God's courtroom, his omniscience, his perfect and complete knowledge of all things, everything that happens is on display. In contrast to a human courtroom where evidence can be withheld and facts can be hidden or skewed, no evidence is withheld in God's courtroom. Because God sees all things. God knows all things. He sees what we do. He sees what we think and how we feel. He sees the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And not only that, not only does God see all things and know everything that everyone does, but everyone is accountable to him. As we read in Romans 3, verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Paul is saying in this verse that no one can keep the law perfectly, and so every mouth is stopped. This is again an allusion to the courtroom. God holds the world to account both Jews and Greeks are under sin, and as we read in verse 9, none is righteous, no, not one. And so, every mouth is stopped. No one can open their mouths to make a defense of their conduct before God, because if they line themselves up against the perfect standard of his law, they quickly realize that they don't match up. We don't match up. Do you see that, beloved? Do you see that when we hear God's law read to us and we examine our lives, we 
realize that we don't match up to God's law. Do you see that God's law is perfect, that his judgments are true and righteous altogether? Do you see why his law is read to us every Sunday morning? Perhaps we get tired of hearing the law. We don't think that it is a very important part of the liturgy of our worship service. But it is so necessary for us to be reminded on a continual and weekly basis that we don't match up to God's standard. And we might think that we're doing pretty well. Maybe this week was comparatively a good one in your Christian walk. Say, I worked hard this week. I didn't swear too much. I spent a couple of evenings visiting. I didn't get angry at my husband. I was kind to my siblings, and I, I didn't give my parents too much attitude. You know, I prayed, and I did my devotions, and we can go on and on. Now, these things, they're good. They are good things to strive for. But how often do we not start to think that God must be pretty happy with us right about now? We probably wouldn't say it, but we sort of think that our so-called righteousness can stand before God's judgment. But then, on Sunday morning, we hear God's law read, and we realize as we reflect on his law, and as it shows us a picture of ourselves, that we realize that we, we don't match up. Against the perfectly straight standard and the, the ruler of God's law, the absolutely best week of our Christian lives is shown to be crooked, to be defiled with sin. And this goes for everybody. And nobody matches up. And this is what the catechism is getting at when it says even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But doesn't the catechism also say in question and answer 8, that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God? Does that not mean that those who believe are able to do good? Yes. Believers are able to make a small beginning of this obedience that God requires. We confess this in question and answer 114. But that is still not a perfect obedience. It is still not in complete agreement with the requirements of God's holy law. Our catechism cites Isaiah 64, verse 6 in the footnote of question and answer 62. And there we read that all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says that all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. But if that wasn't bad enough, our English Bibles have sanitized the translation in this verse just a little bit. In, ver in the original Hebrew, this is a very graphic and disturbing image of our works. Liter literally, it says that our righteous deeds are like a menstrual cloth. Our righteous deeds are unclean. There's something that is untouchable, something that needs to be cast into the garbage heap and burned. We can compare our good works to a room in a one-star hotel. Everything looks clean in the hotel room. Everything looks nice. 
until someone takes a black light to the linens and reveals what's truly there. The thought of it can make our skin crawl. It's kind of gross, but it is the same with our lives. Everything may look fine and dandy on the outside, but as soon as our life is brought under the close scrutiny of God's law, it doesn't take very long to find plenty of evidence of how far we fall short. As the Catechism says, even our best works are tainted with sin. No one can stand before God's just judgment. As Romans 3 verse 20 says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Now after hearing these things, it can weigh heavy on us and it can drive us to despair, but it is not meant to drive us to the pit of despair, beloved. Yes, we despair in ourselves. We despair in our works and our own righteousness. We despair that we cannot be righteous before God in and of ourselves. And so we cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 130 where he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? And so it drives us away from ourselves. When we measure ourselves against the perfect law of God, it drives us to look away from ourselves for the righteousness that God requires. It drives us to look for an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes outside of ourselves. And so we look to the righteousness of Christ. We look to the righteousness of Christ that is fully accredited to our account if we believe in him. For Christ alone, he is our righteousness before God. And so that brings us to our second point this afternoon, our good works are graciously rewarded. So having established that our good works can in no way be our righteousness before God, that they do not merit us any favor with God, the catechism proceeds with the second question. Do our good works are nothing even though God promises to reward them in this life and in the next? Fair enough, this seems to be a natural question since it is true that Scripture does speak in this way. For example, in Matthew 5, verse 11 through 12, the Lord Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There is a heavenly reward for suffering for Christ's sake. We can also mention Hebrews 11, verse 6, which says that God rewards those who seek him. Or Psalm 19, verse 11, which praising the perfect law of the Lord says in keeping them, there is a great reward. There are many other passages that we could cite, but it is undeniable that rewards, that rewards are promised to those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, who live according to his will, who seek to serve him in all their life. God promises to reward them in this life and in the next. And so the question we are faced with is how does this clear teaching of Scripture that, are, that the reward for good works on the one hand 
that there is a reward for good works, how does this square with the teaching of Scripture that our good works cannot be any part of our righteousness before God? Our confession gives a clear and succinct answer to this question. The reward for our good works, it is not earned. It is a gift of grace. And so how is that reward a gift of grace? What does that mean? Well, let us look for a moment at three ways in which the reward that God work or gives on account of our works is a gift of grace. First of all, we turn to that well-known passage in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, that beautiful summary of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. There we read in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Notice especially in verse 10, the language of workmanship the language of being created in Christ Jesus. This contrasts our work with the works of God. Salvation is not by our works, but it is a work of God's grace. We are saved through faith, which God has given to us, and we are made a new creation in Christ so that we might do good works. And so there's an order of operations in God's plan of redemption. First, we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We are saved by faith. We are given new life in Christ. We receive his righteousness as our own. And flowing out of that new life, that new life we have in Christ, we do good works. Later on in the catechism in question and answer 91, good works are defined as those works that are done out of true faith. A true faith that God graciously works in us. Even our faith, in a sense, is not our own. For God, by his Spirit, works it in us. And so we see that the reward for our works is a gift of grace because those works flow out of a true faith, which itself is a gift of grace. And if we look at Ephesians 2, verse 10 again, we notice a second way in which the reward for our good works is a gift of grace. In this verse, we read that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Although we can rightly say that the good works we do are, are really ours, we really do them, We must also recognize that in his eternal purpose, in the eternal counsel of his will, God determined the good works that we would do. Now we can't really fathom how this works. We can't really wrap our minds around how God would determine before time began what we would do. But we need to believe what God says in his word. All the good things that we do in this life, helping out a neighbor, making a meal for someone in church, 
responding in gentleness rather than anger, speaking the truth in love, showing kindness and love to one another, encouraging the brothers and sisters. All these things are good works that God gave us to do before it was ever our intention to do them. And so what a gift of grace that God would choose to reward us for the good works that he prepared for us to walk in. In a very real way, our good works are are the Lord's. He deserves the credit for them. He deserves the praise and the honor and the glory for good works. And yet, beloved, we see how gracious our God is that he would reward us for the works that he gave us to do. And in the third place, the Catechism references Luke 17. There the Lord Jesus tells a brief parable to his disciples of a servant who is not thanked or rewarded by his master for doing his duty. And the the Lord applies this parable in Luke 17, verse 10, where he says, So you also, when you have done all that you commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now this is such a good lesson for us, beloved, for how often do we not think that we ought to receive a a reward for our good works? No, we don't think that way in our theology. We know we don't deserve anything from the hand of God except for wrath and judgment. But practically speaking, sometimes it is a different story. After all the hours we spent doing that committee work, all the time you shouldered all that responsibility on the local school board, all the wise counsel and scriptural guidance you gave on home visits or hospital visits, all the meals you made, all the sacrifices you made for your kids, all the things that you have done for your church community, generally it is a good thing to be recognized and encouraged when someone notices these, work, these works and, and appreciates it. But wouldn't it be nice to get some recognition from God? Don't we deserve for God to give us some recognition for how hard we work, how much we sacrifice, and how humbly we suffer for his name's sake? We said before, God sees all things. He knows all things. Surely he ought to reward us for what we have done in his service, shouldn't he? No, beloved, we must not think this way. Our Lord puts us in our place in this parable of the unworthy servant in Luke 17. All the good things we do, the things we mentioned, and we can think of many more, if we do these things, we have only done what was commanded of us. We are only walking in obedience to God's command to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Should your child get paid for picking up their socks every morning and throwing it in the laundry basket? No, we think that would be ridiculous, because that is what you expect of them. You expect them to clean up after themselves. And in the same way, we cannot expect to be rewarded for doing what God expects us to do. And yet... And yet, beloved, the Lord, he is gracious. Though even our best works are defiled with sin, 
Even our best works deserve only God's wrath. It pleases him. It pleases our Father for the sake of Christ's Son to reward even these dirty rags. And so that brings us to our third point this afternoon. Our good works are necessary fruit. The third question that the Catechism asks in Lord's Day 24 is similar to the question that Paul asked rhetorically in our reading in Romans 3, verse 31. He has just clearly laid out the doctrine of justification by faith in verses 23 to 25 where he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And also in verse 28, he says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And so after this clear teaching that we are righteous only by faith in the finished work of Christ, Paul asks in verse 31, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Now, this seems to be a reasonable question according to our human logic. If grace is free, how can we expect people to act properly if it doesn't count towards their salvation? Don't we just need a little bit of legalism in our life to keep people in check? Shouldn't they have something to work towards so that they will actually walk in obedience? Paul answers this notion emphatically. He defends the doctrine of justification by faith alone in 3 verse 31 when he says quite strongly, he says, by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. And we can read a similar rhetorical question and an emphatic response from Paul in chapter 6 verse 1 to 2 of Romans. There, after expounding the free gift of grace, the free gift of Christ's righteousness for all who believe, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so we recognize that it is true that the doctrine of the free grace of God, the doctrine that only the righteousness of Christ can be our righteousness before God and not our works, this doctrine can be abused. It is possible to think that, we, that because we are saved by grace alone, good works don't matter so much. And it doesn't really matter how we live before the Lord. We have to ask ourselves, is this how we think? Is this how you think? Beloved, do you think that because you have been baptized, you've received the promises of God, you're in the covenant, you're a child of God, that it doesn't really matter how you live? Do we think that living a life in the fear of the Lord and obedience to Him and in complete submission to His Word, is that, does that sound legalistic? No, congregation, we must not have anything to do with legalism, thinking that somehow we can earn God's favor by our works. But we must not 
also presume upon God's grace and act like our actions have no consequences. As Paul stated so strongly, the teaching that we are righteous by grace through faith is not contrary to the law. The teaching that justification is by grace through faith does not do away with good works altogether. In the same vein, question and answer 64 of the Catechism says, No, it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. This image of being grafted into Christ comes from John 15, verses 4 and 5, where the Lord says to his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And the Catechism says elsewhere that those who are saved by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. And furthermore, it says elsewhere that through the Holy Spirit, we are grafted into Christ. This is a strong imagery. It is an image that shows us that just as a branch can be taken from one vine and grafted into another, so we too, as God's people, are taken from one vine, the vine of death, and we are grafted into another, the vine of life. We are grafted into Jesus Christ, and he is the source of our life. By the working of the Holy Spirit, we believe in Christ. We are united to him in true faith. And so we receive his perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness as our own. But also we bear fruit. For it is impossible that believers who are united by faith to that life-giving source, the vine Jesus Christ, would not bear fruit. It is unthinkable that someone who receives their life from the vine Jesus Christ would be a branch that does not bear fruit. And no, this does not mean that we suddenly have to pull up our socks. We have to start figuring out how to do good works in our own strength, that we have to work harder and longer, that we just need to be better no, we are united to Christ. He lives in us. We have his spirit dwelling in our hearts, renewing us and sanctifying us each day. And by the power of the spirit of Christ, we, give, we begin more and more each day to walk in the good works that God prepared before us, prepared for us before time began. And by the power of this Holy Spirit, we begin now already to live according to the will of God in all good works and so show ourselves to be thankful to him for the salvation that he has given to us and so congregation the catechism teaches us the truth of God's word that our good works cannot be our righteousness before God they cannot be our righteousness before God because they are absolutely insufficient. Even our best works are polluted garments defiled with sin. And yet we learn that our Lord is kind 
He is merciful and gracious to us. And that although we don't deserve it, he graciously rewards the imperfect works that he do. As a loving father with his children, he rewards us for the works that he gave us to do. And finally, the Catechism teaches us that by his Holy Spirit, Christ dwells in us and equips us for a life of service to the Lord. He equips us to live in the fear of the Lord, bearing fruit for him, bearing fruit to the praise of his glory. Amen.